Well, some years back, there was a popular movie starring Goldie Horn called Private Benjamin. Uh, does anybody actually remember this movie? Anybody? Yes, uh, apparently a few of us have come out of the dark ages from prehistoric times. Yes, well, in this movie, Goldie Horn, she plays a woman named Judy Benjamin, uh, the pampered daughter of wealthy parents. But one day, she joins the US Army on a whim after she meets an army recruiter who convinces her that the army is actually a glamorous lifestyle, comparing it to a spa vacation. Well, it isn't long after Private Benjamin arrives at boot camp that she has a very rude awakening, discovering that her new life has very little to do with the self-indulgent lifestyle that she was used to, and everything to do with dedicated, and serv dedicated service and sacrifice for a greater cause. Well, today as we continue in our sermon series on the Gospel of John, we reach the second part of chapter 12. And as we look at this passage together today, I dare say some of us are going to have our very own rude awakening concerning what it is that we have signed up for as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me to John chapter 12. It's page 762 of the small print, 1671 of the large print Bibles. John chapter 12. And as we come to this passage, we see that it's now the time of the Passover feast. And that means that Jerusalem is packed full with pilgrims. Jews from all over Israel, along with Gentiles who have associated themselves with the Jewish faith. They've all streamed into the city. It's now just five days before Jesus will die on the cross. And for the very last time, he enters Jerusalem, knowing full well what awaits him. Well, when people hear that Jesus has arrived in the city, many go out to welcome him. Uh, they've heard about his miracles, uh, especially his raising Lazarus from the dead. And so they conclude that Jesus must be the Messiah promised in the scriptures. The Messiah who would come and save his people. And of course, they're exactly right. Jesus is the Messiah. But what the people have gotten wrong is the type of Messiah Jesus is. See, they're expecting a Messiah who will come and smash all Israel's enemies. In particular, the occupying Roman rulers. The people who are, who are making their lives so miserable. The Jews are expecting a triumphant warrior Messiah who will bring judgment on the godless nations of the world. And a Messiah who will give the Jews the kind of carefree, tranquil life that they've been dreaming of. And so as the great crowd comes out to meet Jesus, they start waving palm branches in front of him. Now, according to the commentaries, palm branches at this time had become a symbol for the nation of Israel. And so you see, it's all a bit like they're waving flags before Jesus in a great display of patriotism, nationalism. And they start shouting to Jesus, Hosanna! King of Israel. In other words, save us, King of Israel. Come and rescue us from all our enemies. Here, read with me from John chapter 12, verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. 
The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. See, the crowd is expecting a Messiah. They're expecting the Messiah to come and wage war on Rome. To bring back Israel's glory days and make their nation great again. Which is why what Jesus does next is so significant. What does he do? Well, he finds a young donkey and rides it through the crowd. Now, if you've ever travelled through Europe, you've no doubt seen some impressive military statues, you know, like this one here. The ones where some military leader is sitting glorious and, and, and triumphant on his mighty war horse, looking invincible and uh, strong. But chances are you, you've never seen one of these guys sitting on a little donkey. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because that, that's not what great military commanders ride, is it? And that's Jesus, exactly Jesus' point here. That he's not come to wage war on the nations of the world, but rather to offer them peace. In fact, as Jesus' disciples will later realise, Jesus is actually fulfilling the words of Zechariah the prophet here. Zechariah, who 500 years earlier had spoken of this very event, saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So you see, the people expected a Messiah who would come and defeat all God's enemies. And indeed, the day will come when Jesus returns to do just that. But here, now, he comes in gentleness and humility extending an offer of peace and a place in his kingdom to anyone who will accept it, both Jew and Gentile. Read with me from verse 14. Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how... The whole world has gone after him. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? The Pharisees notice that this great crowd flocking to Jesus isn't just made up of Jews, but of Gentiles, non-Jews too. People from the, the whole world, they say. And they're not happy about it. But whether they like it or not, Jesus is following is now growing to include Gentiles too. 
And so it's not surprising that in the next part of the passage, we hear of a number of Greek Gentiles there in the city who want to meet up with Jesus. Well, when Jesus hears of this, he he doesn't seem as interested in making their acquaintance as, as pointing out what their request signifies, that it's now time for him to die. Up, up until now, of course, we've, we've heard Jesus say over and over again, my hour has not yet come. But when he hears the Gentiles are now deliberately seeking him out, all that changes. He knows that it's time to die. Because he knows that only by, by dying will he be able to, to make his offer of peace to the nations. Offering them forgiveness of sins and, and new life with God in his kingdom. Uh, Jesus knows that just like, like a seed needs to, to die, you know, metaphorically die, and be buried in the ground before that seed can, can yield new life, well, so Jesus knows that that he needs to die and be buried. That that in his death, he might bring forth eternal life for the nations. See, just like a a seed needs to die to fulfil its life-giving purpose, so too, Jesus needs to die to fulfil his life-giving purpose. But what's really interesting here, and and actually it's, it's something I've never picked up on before, Uh, is the fact that that through his seed-like death, Jesus goes on to produce more more seeds. Uh, The people of God. And as seeds, they too must now fall to the ground in order to fulfil their purpose in this world. In other words, followers of this Messiah must be ready to follow him to death. If that's what it takes to see God's great plan of salvation in this world come to fruition. In fact, Jesus goes on to say that unless you hate your life in this world for his sake, you can't even be a part of his kingdom. You can't be one of his people. No, you have to hate your life. Not in some kind of suicidal way but in the sense of being prepared to sacrifice everything for Jesus and his mission, of loving him more than anything else, whether it be the the, the comforts and security of this world or the acceptance of other people. Those who follow Jesus must love him more than their own life. Wow, it's, it's a massive call, isn't it? But according to Jesus, it's a call that comes with an infinitely bigger reward. Eternal life and honour from God the Father. Here, read with me from verse 20. Verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, 
it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. See, Jesus is clear. It will cost him everything to save his people. And it will cost his people to follow him too. But the eternal reward will more than compensate for any sacrifices they make. And yet, you know, as Jesus speaks of his own sacrificial death, it's not, it's not like he does it with some kind of um, passionless stoicism. You know, he's not like some kind of divine robot without genuine human feelings. No, as Jesus thinks about his coming crucifixion, you know what? It troubles him greatly. But nonetheless, it's a sacrifice he's prepared to make for the sake of a greater cause. The glory of his heavenly Father. That his name might be glorified through his obedience and as he gains worshippers from among the nations of the world. And with that, a voice from heaven booms. It's none other than the voice of God the Father confirming that he has and will be glorified through Jesus' obedience. Oh, what a comfort that voice must have been for Jesus through, through these final days of his life. It meant that as he faced untold suffering, he could do so knowing that, that God was right there with him in it. Yet Jesus says that the voice from heaven was actually first and foremost for the benefit of those people around him. That they might be assured that everything that he has said about his suffering and death, it's all true. That it is all part of God's plan for the nations. A plan that will bring judgment on the world. As people either trust in Jesus as the Messiah or reject him as an imposter. A plan that will dethrone Satan once and for all. Ending his rule over the peoples of the world. And a plan by which Jesus will draw people from all over the world to himself. Bringing the scattered children of God together as one. But you know for many of the people there listening to Jesus, his words don't sit too well. Because this is not the kind of Messiah they've been hoping for. Suffering and dying Messiah. Nor is this the kind of life they've been hoping he'd provide. A life of sacrifice and maybe even death. And so they speak up saying, no, 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 just one minute, Jesus, just one minute. The scriptures clearly talk about an eternal Messiah. Uh, A son of man who will rule forever. So how can you claim that he'll suffer and die? But Jesus simply replies with a metaphor. He compares the few remaining days of his life to that period before sunset 
when, of course, travellers in the olden days needed to hurry home, uh, lest they be lost in the dark. So too, these people must put their trust in Jesus now, while he's still with them, lest they be lost eternally. His point is clear. Though he is the eternal Son of Man, he must die. Read with me from verse 27. Verse 27, where Jesus says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, Satan, will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all men to myself, will draw all kinds of people from around the world to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the Lord that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a a little while longer. Walk. While you have the light, before darkness overtakes you, the man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And so Jesus tells the crowd that they must put their trust in him now, that soon the Messiah will die as part of God's great plan to save the peoples of the world. And with that comes the end of Jesus' public ministry. In fact, the next time Jesus speaks publicly in the Gospel of John, he'll be hanging on the cross. And so these words from Jesus here are essentially his final plea for the people of Israel to put their trust in him as God's Messiah. And yet, sadly, despite all the miraculous signs backing up Jesus' claims, the vast majority of the Jews rejected him. His pleas fell on deaf ears. Not that that took God by surprise. No, No, it's exactly what he said would happen through the prophet Isaiah. When 700 years earlier, Isaiah foretold that Israel would reject God's suffering servant king. And that God would harden the hearts of those who refused to believe, confirming them in their unbelief. Do you see now why Jesus was pleading with the Jews to believe before before sunset? Because after it, it, it could be too late. Yet happily, there were some Jews who did believe that Jesus was their Messiah sent from God. But sadly, many of them chose to keep their belief to themselves 
as, as a secret for fear of what others might think of them. Unfortunately, it was other people's opinion that mattered more to them than God's. To use Jesus' earlier wording, they, they loved their lives in this world. And so they weren't prepared to follow Jesus on his path of sacrifice and suffering. But as Jesus points out in the final verses of today's passage, to accept and believe him is to accept and believe God himself. To trust and follow him is to walk in the light and receive eternal life. But to reject him is to reject God. It's to remain in the darkness. It's to be eternally condemned. Read with me these final verses from verse 37. Verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into this world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And with that, we reach the end of today's passage. As, as Jesus offers his final plea to the nation of Israel to put their faith in him and to, to follow him in living lives of sacrifice and service in order that God might be glorified in the nations of the world. But sadly, the Messiah that Jesus offered these Jews was very, very different from the, from the one they wanted. They wanted an all-conquering Messiah who would bring them glory now. Give them their, their best life now. All the blessings of the new age now. They wanted they wanted a stallion, not a donkey. 
And so on the whole, the people of Judah rejected Jesus and his offer of life in God's kingdom. And tragically, they will live with their choice for all eternity. But what I find even sadder here is the story of those Jews who came to the conclusion that Jesus really is God's Messiah, yet who chose not to act on it for fear of social exclusion. They weren't prepared to bear the cost of following Jesus on that path of service and sacrifice. Because ultimately, they loved their lives in this world more than they loved him. Like seeds, seeds kept in a jar and never planted in the ground. They were good for nothing. Unfit for the kingdom of God. Oh, what a tragedy. But friends, what about us? I mean, what do you think this passage teaches us who are here today? Well, I think that it reminds us that the time is coming when Jesus, the Messiah, will return and judge all the peoples of the world. A time when his people will live with him in glory, with untold blessings, with no more struggle, with no more sacrifice. But friends, what this passage clearly teaches us is that that, that time is not now. That for now, God has a different plan for this world. An offer of peace through Jesus that needs to be heard by every person on earth. Which of course means that for now, our lives as Christians are to be lived in dedicated service and sacrifice for Jesus. Lives offered up for him as we do all we can to ensure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed around the world. Striving. Struggling. To ensure that people everywhere hear of his, his unique and ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And his wonderful welcome, to, his wonderful invitation for everybody to enter into God's kingdom through it. So friend, let me ask you, is this what your life looks like? A life of sacrifice and service. Or does it look more a, a pampered life of self-indulgence? More spa vacation? than boot camp. Friends, in that movie, Judy Benjamin joined the US Army because she was tricked. Tricked into thinking it was a nice, comfortable lifestyle. You know, Jesus never, ever once made such a claim. 
On the contrary, he's completely upfront with the requirements that come to all those who choose to be a part of his kingdom. We are called to be seeds. Seeds not kept safe in a jar, but seeds poured out on the ground, into the dirt, buried, called to devote our lives to our master's mission. So friend, let me ask, how are you sacrificing and serving that God's name would be glorified among the nations? Would you say it's what you live for? Or would you say it's nothing more than than a side thought? Perhaps something that you only really ever think about once once a year during, during mission month. Mission month. Mission month. What a stupid name that is. Mission month. I came up with it, so <laughs> I guess I've only got myself to blame. And no, we won't be changing it. It serves a very good purpose. But think about it, mission month? Mission month? Come on. You know, it kind of makes me think of a, of a soldier walking off the battlefield come the 1st of July. Saying to his, his commanding officer, I'll oh, see you next June. Mission month. No, friends, we're not on mission for a month. We're always on mission for Jesus. That is who we are. That is what we do. But of course, being, being a fruitful seed for Jesus... And helping the nations to know him will cost you. I'm sorry if that comes as a rude awakening for you. But it's true. It could cost you your life. Probably not. The students graduating from the PTS in India may cost them their lives, probably not us, but it will cost you in at least three other significant ways. Your time, your talents, and your treasures. It'll cost you your time. You know, prayer takes time. I mean, getting real and praying consistently for just one or two of our mission partners throughout the year will require from you a sacrifice of time, reading through their prayer updates so that you can pray in an informed way will take a sacrifice of time. Praying regularly, consistently for your lost friends will take from you time. Mission takes time. Did you know that by the end of this year, at least three families in our church will have gone on a short-term mission overseas? I think that's awesome. 
But of course, that means that for each and every one of them, they will have had to have sacrificed their precious, precious holiday time in order to serve in that particular way. It's a sacrifice of time. Signing up to become a helper in the easy English creche so that women from around the world can come and be introduced to Jesus requires a sacrifice of time. Time that could be, you could be spending doing something that you find more pleasurable. Now let's face it, what's more pleasurable than cuddling a little baby? Seriously. Yes, being on mission for Jesus will cost you your time. And it'll cost you your talents too. Friend, how could you use your talents, your God-given skills in mission, do you think? I haven't got time to go into detail now. But let me simply say that there are all sorts of opportunities for you to serve in mission. Short-term, long-term, here in Australia, abroad, even in support roles from your own home. Whether you're a builder, accountant, IT person, teacher, graphic designer, administrative assistant, cook, medical person, you name it, you can use your talents in mission. And if you really want to find out more, then please, please come and speak to me or after, after the service or, or have a look at the, the, the website that I've, I've put inside your sermon outline. And you can do some, some research yourself in your own time, just exploring possibilities for yourself and for your family. But being on mission for Jesus will cost you your time, it'll cost you your talents, and it'll cost you your treasure too. Of course, sending people out as missionaries takes money. We've got 10 mission partners that we support as a church. Isn't that brilliant? Absolutely brilliant. But you know, it takes money. They are all people who have heard Jesus' call to sacrifice. And each and every one of them have given up lots. You know, at least in this world. They've given up lots for the glory of his name. And you know, while they face all sorts of challenges on the mission field, there is one challenge that they should never need to face. Having enough money to be there. Friends, is it, is it time for you to get serious about your giving to mission? Time to get sacrificial in my mind, sacrifice means pain. But as my wife Beth keeps reminding me, let's not just give till it hurts, let's, let's give till it feels good. <laughs> She's beautiful. Friend, do you, do, you think, do you think that just maybe you could redirect some of your spending on, on those non-essentials? to give more lavishly to mission work. 
would, would giving regularly, you know, throughout the year, as has been promoted recently, help you to give more to Mission Sunday next year? Think it through, won't you? But whatever you do, please don't forget that next week is the 2017 Mission Sunday collection. So let me encourage you, don't hold back. But give big. Whatever big means for you. Friend, do you find the thought of sacrificing in all these ways troubling? That's okay. Jesus found the thought of his sacrifice troubling too. It's just that he was able to look beyond the seed's death to the wonderful harvest to come. And we can too. Friends, following Jesus and reaching the nations will be costly. But it will be so worth it. I mean, just imagine, one day we will be standing there, standing there with God. We'll no longer have our nice homes or clothes or jobs or cars. But we will have all the people we've helped to know Christ eternally. And God willing, we will get to hear those wonderful words of honour from our Heavenly Father. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. So let's live for what lasts. Let's be on mission with Jesus all year long, whatever the cost. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Jesus gave his life sacrificially to save us. Please help us now to to live sacrificially too. That the good news of Jesus might be heard around the world. To your honour and glory we pray. Amen.